0: may be seated pray with me father son and spirit we have already heard your voice this morning singing over us the truth of the gospel that you are a good good father and that we are loved by you and we are your children it's who you are it's who we are and so we ask as as our good father we ask as your children to pour out your spirit on the hearing and the preaching of your word Would you use your word to God to penetrate, to divide, and would you give us the grace to respond with obedience and in love? We ask this in the name of our older brother, who has secured our place in your family, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to introduce Esther Troy, who will be reading our selection of scripture for the morning.
1: Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, beginning in verse 46. Listen for the Word of God. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Jesus replied to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, "'Here are my mother and my brothers. "'For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven "'is my brother and sister and mother.'" This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Good morning, church. My name is Derek, and I'm one of the pastors here at Third. We are in the midst of a sermon series called "'The Questions of Jesus.'" And what we're doing is that we are trying to take a look at Jesus by examining the questions that he asks people, that he interacts with. And what we're discovering is this. It reveals that Jesus is deeply interested in people. And I hope it reveals to you that he's deeply interested in you. He cares about the things that you wrestle with. He cares about your concerns. He cares about your life. He cares about the questions that you bring with you. And we also believe that Jesus is here, that he's present to us this morning by his spirit. And so he wants to ask these questions to us afresh, anew. And he wants to ask them of us in hopes that he might transform us. The question that we are looking at this week is one of the more difficult topics to talk about. Family. Family. One of my favorite quotes about family family comes from Erica Scheidt. She says this, It doesn't matter what story you're telling, you are always telling the story of family. And the story of every family lies beneath the surface. The still waters that we present to the rest of the world rarely tell the whole story. Whether it's the stress of competing commitments or the pain of emotional discord Or the shame of a secret failure just like the ocean below the apparently calm surface. A great deal is happening. And most of us expend great energy. So that no one discovers that these deeper, darker currents even exist. The reason that that family has such a powerful grip on us is because family is the great mirror. I'll tell you what, be. of all of the things that can reflect who you are, project who you are, the one that, that impacts us and touches us the deepest and the most is family. It is the most powerful vehicle through which human identity can be formed or displayed more than anything else. Family is the place where we project the image of the kind of person that we want others to believe us to be. This is why our families are so often a source of shame and stress. Because if something goes wrong with our family and they find out about it, then they're going to know that there's something wrong with me. I remember Bill Copeland, he's uh, my spiritual papa. Those of you guys that were at the uh, men's retreat um, got to hear both of us talk. It was uh, One of the earliest months that I, I met him, this is around five or six years ago, and he told me the story as a pastor of our church, watching his 17-year-old son leave the courtroom in handcuffs, a DUI. And he and his wife Sherry just collapsed into one another and said, we have failed completely. We are the worst parents. How do we recover from this? I remember being shocked that he even told that story to me. I, I didn't know many people that... Tell stories that deep or that secret. And um, it affected me. It immediately became my nightmare. It was not my nightmare before he told it to me. And then it, to this day, it is still my nightmare. That somehow I would do something, or my children or family would do something, that would, would totally um, shake to the core my, my belief that, that I was a good father for them. It's terrifying. You know, when we experience that kind of shame, most of us respond in one or two ways. We either, um, we either hide or we get to work. We, we either pretend or we perform. We become pretenders around family when we don't let anybody else stick their toes in the deep water of our souls or our family life. We become fiercely private we, or we avoid our families. We avoid the pain of what's there through work play, media, self-medication, we become performers when we seek the ideal spouse for the ideal marriage, to buy our ideal house in the ideal neighborhood with the ideal schools, where one day we will birth and raise those ideal children that will finally bring meaning and purpose to our lives. good luck with that. The question that Jesus asks us this week, it just cuts straight to the bone and marrow of our families. And so as we examine this text together, what we're going to discover is that there are no simple answers. Obviously, there's no seven-step plan to the perfect Christian family because our, our troubles run too deep. But we will discover this, that the future for God's family is not a program. It is a person. It is Jesus Christ himself. And in Christ and through Christ an entirely new way of being and doing family is breaking into the world. So let's look at the three things that, um, that we can learn from our, our text. First is this. Jesus reveals the family problem as a worship problem. He reveals the family problem as a worship problem. By the time that we get to Matthew chapter 12... Jesus's ministry at this point has been growing and growing and growing in popularity, in particular with those who are on the fringe of society, the outcasts, the tax collectors, the sinners, the poor. Uh, Jesus is having incredible impact. At the same time, uh, chapters 11 and 12 of Matthew will tell you he, his uh, conflict and controversy with the Pharisees is picking up as well. They are at heads six different snapshots in a row through Matthew 11 and 12 of immense conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. He's just sort of finished one of these episodes when he begins a a different time of teaching, a large group of people in a house, and his disciples are around his feet. And it's in the middle of his teaching that someone knocks on the door and bursts in and says to Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. We don't know who it is. It just says someone, which is good. You don't want to be remi- remembered in Scripture as the guy that interrupted Jesus' sermon, right? So we don't know who it is. Uh, but but he says your family is waiting for you outside. Now let's try to take off our you know uh, our 2019 what it means to be in a family mindset and to adopt the ancient Near Eastern one. This this. This is, a, this is a culture where family was everything, and Jesus had clearly defined responsibilities. What was expected of this was this, is that he would, as the older son, stop what he was doing, then elevate the concerns of his family and go and take care of them. If he didn't do this, he'd bring great shame on the family. And what we find is that, that Jesus doesn't move an inch. He doesn't lift a finger. He's, instead, he asks a question. And the question is this. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? He points to this ragtag group of people that he's known maybe a year. These, these are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters. She's not my family. These people here with me, they're my family. I don't think... Uh, I don't think we can really grasp just how offensive Jesus' response would have been. In the ancient Near East family is everything. But he does this often. This, this is not a one-time affair. Jesus' teaching on biological family and its role is pretty consistent. And it's, it's, it's pretty harsh, actually. That's why sometimes when we read him say things like Luke 9... Uh, Verse 60, there's someone who wants to just bury his father before he comes to follow Jesus as a disciple. And Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their dead. You're to follow me. Later in Luke, he says, if someone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters, even his own life cannot be my disciple. Jesus took no wife, fathered no children, He does not value the biological family in the way that his culture does. And I don't think he values the biological family in the way that our culture does, either. Why would Jesus do this? Why would he do this? Because he knows that Israel has a family problem, and that family problem is a worship problem. That family for them has become idolatry. One of my professors, Peter Kuzmich, he said it this way. Israel had twisted the doctrine of divine election into the heresy of divine favoritism. They were created in Genesis 12 to be a family through which what? The peoples of the earth would be blessed. And instead, they create rules upon rules upon rules to be able to tell you who is in and who is out. Laws like walls, barriers, keeping themselves from being a blessing to all of the world. Now, the way I think that that we experience this in our our families most likely is through a desire to protect our families. I, I understand this impulse. I didn't understand it until I had a kid. Now I totally understand it. I remember when Fisher was born... They, uh, they took him, placed him on Sue's chest, and he got his first snuggles in, and she uh, kind of held him and kind of looked at me. Her eyes met. this magical moment, and I was expecting her to say something like, he has your eyes. You're going to be such a wonderful father. Now, r- remember this. We had been on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for eight years together, college ministry. Her first words in the hospital after fish were born were, he is never going to college. <laughs> he will go to the University of, uh, of Arizona online or university, university, what, what is it? Uh, University of Phoenix online, that's what it was, yeah. He's never leaving our house, Derek. This baby is never leaving our house. And I said, yes ma'am, yes ma'am. <laughs> a good thing, like wanting to protect a beautiful child can easily be warped into a bad thing if it becomes God to us. I think this is some of Mary's instinct of why she wants to pull Jesus. Actually, Mark chapter 3 tells the same story, adds a little bit of detail that Matthew didn't. We find that Mary's plan was to kidnap Jesus. (laughs) She was going to restrain him and drag him home because she believed the Pharisees that perhaps he was crazy. I've seen this emerge in a lot of places in, in conversations with friends since we've gotten to Richmond, this, this desire for safety and protection of our family. Um, I see it a lot when we talk about education and our kids. Um, I have around eight or nine friends who have made decisions to, you know, uh, to move out of uh, the Richmond City you know, to, to avoid the nightmare and the once-in-a-generation despairing situation that is Richmond Public Schools. And, um, and our, we, we worked and prayed through those conversations together. And I'm not saying that they made wrong choices in doing that at all. I am saying that over the course of that time, there are only a handful, two or three, when I asked them, like, did you pray about that? Do you want to pray about that? That that was an option. It was just the right thing to do. That's, I think that's concerning. <laughs> that's concerning that we don't pray about... Things like that. I think maybe that might mean that perhaps safety and protecting might be an idol for some of us. I see it in a lot of ways. Friends who've uh, fostered or adopted children. I remember being in this one conversation with my friend Willis. I'll never forget. He was uh, talking about someone that was, was trying to talk with him about his adoption that had, uh, of Theo and they were trying to, to get their mind around how they could maybe participate in it, but they, they didn't, they wanted to, to, to maybe adopt if they could control the process, right? if, if they could limit the risk, if they could maybe be really, really like involved in the, you know, then, then I, maybe I could be open to something like that. And I just remember, I just remember someone in that conversation saying, you can't, you can't do this and avoid risk. You can't open your family like this and avoid risk. As a matter of fact, there are no low-risk options if you're a follower of Jesus when it comes to your families. If if you're looking for low-risk options, don't adopt, don't foster, don't get married, don't have friendships, don't go to church, don't leave your house. Because every human relationship is a risk. And I don't think that God is asking us to use all of our wealth and resources and influence to protect our families while others perish. I just don't. I think we have to pray about that and wrestle with that. And I see many of you doing that. And it has been inspiring to me. The hard thing about this word is Jesus is telling us family is not first. I love what Russell Moore says. says, he says, a Christianity that puts family first will soon find itself uncomfortable with Jesus. Isn't that convicting? As hard as this word is, I, I do want to say, that, can, can I just say, I, am I the only one that finds it very encouraging that Jesus is at the center of God's will and still has family drama? Can I get an amen? Anybody? Thank you. Okay, okay, good. That makes sense in my life. Family's a worship problem. For some of us, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not the worship of safety. Some of it, it's, it's the wounds. We're not protecting children, we're protecting ourselves. And, and what has developed in us sometimes is a transaction based theology with God. This happened to me for years of my life, coming out of a family completely dysfunctional. That if you just love Jesus, you follow the right steps. You lay out the Bible and you teach it to your kids, then then you will have peace and perfection, and your marriage will flourish, and your kids will do everything that you ask them to do. And Jesus never promised this to us. And when it doesn't come true, we are angry with him. I kept the end of my bargain, I stayed sexually pure, I was committed to her, she left me. I didn't do anything wrong. Involved in youth group, always at church, tried to follow Jesus. My son and daughter left the faith at college. I hope you can find some solace that every single family in the Bible is a mess. Especially God's family filled with prodigals. There's no example of a healthy family in scripture except the Trinity. But those wounds are deep and they're real. And when Jesus says, who is my mother? Who is my brothers? He's inviting us to put family in its right place. So I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, what are the deeper, darker currents that are underneath the surface that you want no one to see? What's the idealized image of yourself that you want others to see when they look at your family, your kids, your marriage. And are you willing to put those things to death for the love of Jesus? Family problem is a worship problem. Thankfully, the text does not end there. And what we find is that in Jesus is going to transform both the nature and the purpose of our families. So Jesus asks this question, and then he answers it himself. And the answer is simple. He points to his disciples and he says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Those who do the will of my father in heaven are my family. What Matthew, as the writer, is saying is that in Jesus, a new way of being family is breaking into the world, and it transforms both the nature and the purpose of family. We'll take the first one. How does Jesus transform the nature of family? When he says, those who do the will of my Father in heaven, we have to unpack that. How does that phrase change the very nature of family? Well, first it's this, that for the first time in the history of the world, there's a family that is related not by blood, but by grace a family connected by discipleship. Through their relationship with Jesus, they relate to one another. What does it mean to do the will of God? The way that Matthew explores the answer to that is by contrasting Mary and her brothers with the disciples. All the language that describes Mary and her brothers indicate distance and, uh, and indecisiveness about Jesus. They're on the outside of the house. They are... Um, standing back and outside, a posture of half-heartedness. That's what an ancient Near Eastern uh, listener would have heard when they saw that. The word outside indicates they were outside of the uh, intimate teaching ministry of Jesus. They were not his followers. And as we said earlier, Mark 3 tells us that she believed that Jesus was crazy and was willing to take him into custody. Now, that is contrasted with the disciples who are doing what? They are sitting in the feet of Jesus. They're feasting on his words. They have left everything that they have to follow him. And what it means to to do the will of God in Matthew 12, it it is to gather around Jesus with other people who are gathering around Jesus. Listen to him and do what he tells you to do. That's what it means to follow Those are the people that are the family of God. They're the ones who gather together to follow Jesus. They they feast on his words. They take them seriously. They're people that have been called by God into new life together. I love that image of near to, but not within. I feel like it it describes like so much of my life. I feel like I'm I'm, I'm close to Jesus. I'm close enough. No, (laughs) he doesn't want us just to be near or stand outside, he longs for us to sit right at his feet and to bring our kids and our friends and those who are around with us and to listen to what he has to say and obey when he speaks. Uh, What I want to encourage you, church, is your families, your friends, your children, they don't need to see you make wise and safe choices, though those can be good things. They need to see you follow Jesus. They need to see you struggle. They need to see you cling to him. They need to see you repent and believe. They need to see you lament and grieve and celebrate so that they know your faith is real. They don't need us. Your kids do not need moral teachings. They don't need... Systems of sin management. They need the gospel. They need to know that their parents are poor in spirit and are desperate for God's presence and work in their lives. The implications of this are beautiful. God's family transcends the biological. We are a people related not by blood, but by grace, by mercy, by Jesus. The family of God. Redefines all other human relationships. And the heart of God has always been this, to build a new family in himself that will redeem the world. And he's adopting all sorts of people. And you're becoming a part of this family by doing what? By being born anew in Jesus. And this is the miracle that somehow as this happens, the story of Jesus becomes your story. His bloodline, his parents, his father, his brothers and sisters, his legacy, his inheritance as God's son is yours and is mine. And no one can take that away from you because no one gave it to you but Jesus. Amen? Amen. This is a marvelous invitation. The church is not a network or collection of families. It's not a family-friendly place. It is not a platform through which you can promote family values. It is a family, the family, full stop. Amen? God's own place where every one of you, praise Jesus, is called to be a parent and be parented. Whether you are single, whether you're married, whether you're retired, or whether you're in it with three little ones, all of us are called to parent and be parented. We belong to each other. I wish you could have been here earlier this morning for uh, the vows of baptism that we took when almost half of the front of this church stood up and welcomed these two little boys into God's family. Glorious. I should have just sat down, sermon done. The family of God, on display, beautiful, beautiful. So, following Jesus, this is a hard word. This is such a hard word. I I do not want you to to, uh, think that I am insensitive to this, or that God is family. Following Jesus is going to disrupt our family idolatries, our family ties. But following Jesus, hear this: He compensates you because He loves you. He will give you a new family. So, if you are single. Or uh, you don't have a family. Or like me, your biological family tries to put the fun in dysfunction over and over again. You have a permanent forever place. You have a home. Words for me that were violent and fearful have new meaning. Places of safety and of hope and of love. That's our story, church. And so the question is, what story is your family telling about God's family? What story are we telling about God's family? Are we a place where people can find that kind of home? Or are we protecting our own family so much that we can't participate in this beautiful gathering Around Jesus for the world. So the, the, the first thing Jesus shows us is that he's transforming the nature of family. The second is that he's transforming the purpose. So not only does he reconstitute what a family is, not by blood but by grace, he also invites us to partner with him in his mission. That is the purpose of family. That's how our, trans, our, our purpose is transformed he is calling every single one of us in our friendships, in our families, in all that we do to partner with him in his great mission to the world. So that as, as we as a spiritual family we gather around Jesus, we're doing that in order to gather other people around Jesus. This family's pretty awesome. <laughs> we want other people to be a part of it. This has always been God's plan. Genesis 12, when he made a family for himself, he told them, The reason why I'm doing this is so that you would bless the nations. And that's who you are. That's who we are. We are God's people in the world through whom the blessing of restored relationship with God can come. Our God is a missional God, and his family is a missional family. You cannot, it is our identity. And as hard as it is, this is what it means to follow Jesus. It means to to follow him in dying for the sake of the world. Your families are gifts. They are not gifts to be kept for yourself. Are you willing to do with your family what God did with his? To be a cross-shaped family that bears the sin and the shame of those around you. So that someone might know Jesus. I, I want to take just a couple minutes and be very practical for us, because I had a couple of friends that were like, okay, when you talk about how our families are going to be missional, I want you to be really practical. And so that's what I'm going to do. I, I want to talk about how is it that someone can move towards God? What does that process look like? And how can you and think about your life and your family in some tangible ways To understand that and to be a part of it. I'm going to share with you something that has been transformative for my my family and I. It's called the five thresholds. This comes from a book called I Once Was Lost. Um, Doug Schaub and Don Everts are both friends. Doug Schaub is on staff with InterVarsity. Don Everts was as well. He's now an ECO pastor though. Good credibility. In the book I Once Was Lost, this is amazing. Here's what they want to do. They just wanted to listen to thousands of people uh, across a diverse spectrum of experiences and backgrounds and ask the question, okay, you were someone who was indifferent to faith, but in your adult life decided to follow Jesus. Is there anything that we can discover from that process as we, as we look at it thousands of times? And here's what they discovered. There was a pattern and they've become to know as the five thresholds. And they're this trust, curiosity, openness, exploring, and, uh, uh, those are different on the page. That, that's a little odd. So, trust, curiosity, open, seeking, and follower. Those are the five thresholds. Here's what they entail. At first, there's the threshold of trust that you, for the first time, someone begins to trust a Christian. This is a shift into relationship. You're just trusting one Christian friend. Before this, Christians were kind of weird. We're kind of weird. I don't know if you guys know that or not. We believe crazy stuff. But this is, this is a time where you, you know what? This guy is a follower of Jesus, and I, I think he's kind of a normal person. I want to get to know him a little bit more. That's, that's the threshold of trust. Trust then, eventually, now this could take years or weeks, but um, breeds eventually some curiosity, where maybe some interest is sparked in their spiritual things. That gives way over time to openness. So what was like an, a meandering kind of curiosity about spiritual stuff becomes, becomes a more purposeful seeking. The next threshold is the threshold of seeking, seeking Jesus, a a purposeful exploration of who he is. This is a phase where actually asking questions and finding satisfying answers from scripture and in community is good for them. And then finally, there's this last threshold, which is becoming a follower of Jesus. There's an expression of faith. They count the cost and they, they trust Jesus. They follow them with their lives. This process can be understood, but it cannot be rushed. This is a process of growth towards Jesus and what it looks like. And so so all all of us, as we go through our our faith journey, this is at some way, shape, or form, you're experiencing these thresholds. You're beginning to trust someone of faith. You're you're growing in your curiosity. You're open and seeking Jesus purposefully. So how can God use you or your family? And here's how I want to encourage you: God's the one who draws, God's the one who saves. But if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what I would like for you to, to consider. Identify just one friend. Just one. Right now, in your mind. That, that you feel like you've got a good relationship with. And, and they're on a faith journey. They may not be in the family of God, but they're on a faith journey. And I want you to think about what threshold are they at? Do they need... Are they curious? Are they seeking? Are they... Actually, they, they're just... They need to trust somebody... And here's all I want you to do. I want you just to pray for them over the next two weeks. I want you to pray for them on your own, but every time you gather with another Christian, I want you to pray for this person, just that God would be speaking to them and make Himself known to them in their life and in this journey. Now, here's what's interesting: there are there are some of us in this room who actually are not a part of God's family. I know because I've talked to you, and you're seeking though, and that's. Like That is a good thing. This is actually good for you. Could you move back to the thresholds real quick? I just want to encourage you. I've, I've had friends in my life who still aren't Christians yet. But not not Donnell, to the threshold, sorry. <laughs> like, why is that black man on the screen? I didn't get to tell that story. That's a beautiful friendship of a man who lived with us for five years. Um, so when you think about the thresholds, if you're someone who's on the faith journey, you're seeking Jesus. You haven't found him yet. Here's what I want to encourage you. These can be really good for you too. So I want you to think about what threshold you might be at. Like, do you need to trust a Christian? Are you curious? Do you think maybe you could begin seeking? And if so, is, is there one Christian you can trust? They're hard to find. Is there one Christian you can trust? And would you be willing to just invite them to coffee and talk and ask them about their spiritual journey and yours? This is good for the thresholds, are good for all of us, right? So, so to be a, a renewed family whose nature is transformed, whose purpose is transformed, we, we partner with Christ in his mission to seek and to save that which is lost. And here's the good news Jesus is pointing to you today, church, and he is saying, by the simple fact that you have allowed me to claim you and you are making my story your story, you're taking me seriously, you're following me, you've joined me in mission then I want you to know you are my disciples. And if you're my disciple, you are my brother and my sister and my mother and you have a home in me. That is God's word to you. And if you are hearing and following him in faith, embodying his life with others in faith, then what Jesus wants to do is what he did to the disciples. He wants to reach out over you, point to you and say, look, here is my brother, my sister, my family. Jesus is has transformed the very way that we can be family. He's renewed its nature and he has transformed its purpose. And, and I, I don't care how dark or bright your story is, brothers and sisters, if you leave today, leave with nothing other than this, that in every story your life tells, you are telling the story of the family of God. And it is a story one day in Jesus where every family no matter however broken, will be renewed. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we cry out to you because you're the only one we can cry out to, the only perfect family. We thank you that on behalf of sinners like us, you tore your family apart. You gave your life. You forsook one another. You and created a distance between father and son that had not existed before when you took the sins of this world upon you. And we say thank you that we have hope because we can die with you in your death and be raised with you to new life. And so we give our appeal to you. Would you make us people whose stories always tell the story of your family? In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Let's continue to worship the Lord now by bringing our prayers before him. The prayers you can find printed on page 12 of your bulletin. Um, As we pray, I will pray, Lord, in your mercy, and we'll all then pray together, hear our prayer. But let's bring our prayers before the Lord. Lord Jesus, as we begin this journey of Lent together, put to death all that is in us that you desire to change. And bring new life in us through the power of your death and resurrection. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, deepen our love for one another as your new spiritual family. And lead us to open our hearts and our homes to those that you want to welcome into your community. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Holy Spirit, draw near to all children in the Virginia foster system that need a forever home. And raise up new families, even among us, that can offer the gift of a home. Sustain and empower all those who are serving as foster parents, social workers, respite providers, and friends. Lord, we especially pray for those in our own community who are fostering children. And we think specifically of the Getter family, as they have brought in three boys into a home already full of boys. We pray your blessing upon them that you would meet them where they are, and that, Jesus, you would be evident in that home. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And we continue to pray, Lord Jesus, with the prayer that you taught your disciples, praying together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you please stand now as we sing our song of commission.
0: the good news, church. In Christ and through Christ, you are nothing less than the family of God. You have Jesus's own status as sons and daughters of God. And nothing that you do and nothing that you fail to do is ever going to change that because you're his and he loves you. In that spirit, read with me the words of commission and benediction. Jesus has brought many sons and daughters to glory through his suffering love. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Jesus is not those led by the Spirit of God are children of God. They belong to Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us for worship this morning. I'd like to let you know that Bill and Nancy Payne will be down here to pray for you. Actually, that's not true. (laughs) They changed on us. Uh, There will be two uh, people here to pray for you after the service who love Jesus and are your family. Uh, Receive the benediction, God's good word, over his family and his people. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the sweet Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Go and go as God's family, amen.